and we're live hello hello hey here we are again welcome welcome to another episode of strong tea if you haven't joined us before that's rude and we hope this is the first of many um if you haven't joined us before um this is a podcast which is aimed to talk about slightly taboo topics um things that people don't want to talk about things that people shy away from talking about um so it's uh, we've covered lots and lots of interesting topics so please go through our back catalog um i'm katie i'm vicky and together we are strong tea so please subscribe to our channel and uh, make sure you keep up to date with all of our latest podcasts today we are going to feature another episode in our grief loss and dying mini series now obviously a lot of people struggle to talk about death and dying and grief and the loss of a loved one and what we're trying to do is open up the conversation to make it a little bit easier for people so before we get into the depths of that and talking to our lovely return guest today i'm going to ask you what you're drinking jane well, it always seems wrong that I come on here and I'm not drinking tea, but I really don't like it. I've never <laughs> liked it. I've tried it in all its guises. I've tried the herbals. Just don't like it. So I'm once again on my decaf coffee, which is my staple. Um, but I am planning uh, for at the end of this, I'm going out for a latte. I've decided that's uh, definitely my my prize to myself is to have a, a, love, a, a love a milky coffee oh, no. uh, with, with that, a bit of a kick from uh, having a bit of espresso in there as well. Perfect. <sighs> Nice. Oh, I thought you were going to say you were heading out for a gin after this. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Where is this going? Can I come? <laughs> we hit the hard stuff after this conversation. What about you, Vicky? Um, I've gone for the hard stuff in my eyes, which is a Yorkshire gold. Nice classic. Yeah, it's the classic. Classic. Yeah. I've gone for the I've gone for the milder version of what you've gone for, and I'm having a Yorkshire decaf. Oh, see, it's disappointing on both fronts there. Decaf and it's not gold. I mean, I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be good with my caffeine. I'm trying to have one cup a day, you see, and I've already maxed out on that over breakfast this morning because I didn't sleep. So I thought I'll have my coffee in the morning, wake me up, have my tea in the afternoon, decaf. Nice. Nice. Plus it stops me getting way too excited, way too emotional for this topic. So without <laughs> yes. further ado, Vicky take it away agreed we would love to welcome back jane grayer hello jane and yeah absolute pleasure that the, the first um episode that we did which was about death and dying um was a fantastic discussion about you know the, the taboos the history how we feel and quite honestly the frank conversations that we should be having around death so this one is around grief and loss um this is probably going to cover some quite emotional content. Um, and Jane is a celebrant and end of life doula. So that's probably going to come into a lot of what we're going to be talking about here today. So this is a big question, first of all, Jane, um, and this could end up taking up the. But what is grief and what does it look and feel like? Oh, my goodness. Um... <laughs> Go. That's an impossible question. And I think if we, if we knew the answer to that, a lot of people would be very much happier because what people tend to want at the point where somebody they love dies uh, and they're feeling this overwhelming mixture of emotions, what they want is a road plan. What they want is a map, some kind of explanation about what they're feeling, how long it's going to last, where they go through it, how they get, get out the other end. Uh, and that's the thing that doesn't exist because grief is different for each and every person that experiences it and will be different every time the same person experiences grief. Um, so there's not a set formula. There's not a set, this is what it is. This is how you feel. This is how you get over it. It is as individual as the person and their experience at that moment in time. That's a really frustrating answer, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> And and I can speak from experience because uh, Jane came and sat with my husband and I just after Poppy died and being quite practically minded people, we both sat there and said, right, what do we need to do? How do we get through this? Um, You know, and there's been a lot of, oh, what would you say? There's been a, there's been a lot of press around the stages of grief. And so it kind of leads you to believe that there's a process with a start and a finish. And of course, your 
your your answer at the time was as frustrating as it is now (laughs) (laughs) and but but it was what I needed to hear because my preconceived idea of grief was that there was a start point where the death or the loss happens and you move through this stage and it gets easier and I think my my desire and my need at that point and it was desperation was to know when it wasn't going to feel so hurtful and when was that pain going to go away and of course you said you know there is no answer to that and I I needed to hear that because I thought no this is this is how it works there's someone said that there's a stage that we have to go through um and it was the same answer we had from everyone we spoke to you know there was no way around grief you have to go through it there's no dodging it you have to, and I'm like, I'm here, I'm here for the feelings, give them to me. Um, and it didn't get easier for a long time. And I think, you know, when you're trying to, I guess, as an end of life doula, how do you prepare people for that grieving process? Because it is so different. And I'm sure it's the number one question you get asked, please tell me when this fresh hell will stop. Um, how do you prepare someone? I don't think we can, this is going to be equally frustrating, and I don't think we can ever really be prepared for it, uh, because it is such an overwhelming feeling. Every emotion is so overwhelming, uh, and so diverse, and sometimes they're logical, and you can make sense of why you're feeling that. Other times it's like, well, why am I angry? <laughs> why am I feeling this rage? You know, well, I'm sad, you know, what it, so that sometimes we can't get ahead around logically why we're feeling that emotion at that point in time or, or what the, the purpose is of it or what the process is that, that we're going through. Um, but I think, you know, Kubler-Ross did, did a phenomenal thing at the point where she brought together the stage of grief, but it's been a bit maligned since uh, and taken further. So she was very much talking about pre-grief, what happens at the point where somebody's been given a terminal diagnosis and they're trying to get to grips with what does this mean to them, that process before their death. Um, and she came up with seven stages that uh, she never meant for them to be taken as uh, uh, a line that you follow. You start <laughs> here, go to there, go to there, go to there. And, you know, by the time you got to the seventh, then you're out of it. She'd never meant to, it to be taken like that. So a lot of the studies that have been done since and the things that have been written since talk about um, different areas that you are in for a length of time and you may come back to them. So you may move out, some of them you might move through quite quickly at the start, and then, but then you find yourself back in it again. You kind of go, oh, I thought I dealt with this, but actually, obviously I haven't. It's a bit like peeling an onion where you've got lots of different layers to the onion. Uh, so at point, different points in the grieving process for each individual person, you peel off another layer and that reveals something else. Um, and I think it's, it takes time. And time is one of those things that society doesn't give grief anymore. You've got two weeks off work. That's your time. You've got a fortnight before or three weeks before between the death and the funeral. That's your time for grieving. You don't even start it at that point. You, you know, at the point between the death and the funeral, you're madly busy trying to sort out all the practical things. Mm-hmm. And if you're a practical person, then you will dive into that and keep yeah. yourself as busy as possible. Um, if you're not, you may well be overwhelmed by all these emotions, but just with nowhere to go. And they're all abstract and they're all disconnected. And it just feels like you're out of sync with the rest of the world. Everybody else's life is going on completely normally and naturally. And yours has changed completely. And yet nobody seems to be aware of that. Um, so in a lot of ways, a lot of the grieving starts after the funeral uh, rather than before. And it takes time. Uh, and there'll be days when you feel all right, vaguely normal. There'll be days when you can't get out of bed. And this can last for, for weeks, for months, for years. And you can think you're over it and then it can come back. So you can be fine for several weeks at a time or several months at a time. And then suddenly something just connects you with that, that fe- those feelings, that moment, and takes you right back there. For me, the best description that I've come across is comes. It's in various guises, but effectively, it's the same thing. Um, so that you have at the point where you experience a loss, a bereavement of whatever sort it is, um, then the whole of your life becomes uh, compressed around that. It makes up the whole of your life. Absolutely, everything is seen through that loss. 
over time, the rest of your life gets bigger. That loss, that grief doesn't get smaller, but the rest of your life expands again. So that it doesn't, it's not as overwhelming. It's not there 24 seven, but if something touches that grief, if something just prods it, so whether that's something you smell, you hear, you see a word somebody says, catching sight of somebody, could be a million and one things. Uh, if something just touches that grief and you're straight back to the intensity of the feelings that you were at the point where that person died, if we're talking about death, you know, that straight back. Uh, and that to me, I find that really wonderful that actually it doesn't matter how long ago my dad died, you know, and that I don't think about him all day, every day, and I'm not overwhelmed with grief. I know that if something prods me, then I can feel that intensity of feeling. And that to me is wonderful. I know that I haven't forgotten him. I haven't forgot, oh, blimey, I'm gonna be the first one to go. I didn't remember him. Um, I can feel again, all of that love for him, that feeling of loss, the, the, all of that mixture of feelings and the things that, if only he could see the boys now, if only he could do this down mm. All of that for a length of time. And that brings me actually now, that brings me joy. So yes, I may be crying, mm. but it brings me great joy that that depth of feeling is still there. Um, I forgot what the question was at the start of that. <laughs> it was, how do, you, how do you prepare people for grief? <laughs> So I think um, I think it is around just allowing conversations about it, and to kind of, to, but you know, people want an answer, and you can't give it. Uh, but to to let people know that whatever they're feeling is fine, mm -hmm. is normal, is natural, is right. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing is to keep talking. Mm -hmm. So whether it's talking about what you're feeling, whether it's talking about that person, whether it's talking about something completely irrational and out, yeah, whatever it is, just keep talking. Because that, you know, those, each memory you connect with or each moment you connect with, each emotion that you connect with is really important to share. Mm -hmm. And surround yourself with people that are prepared to listen and not try and fix. Because mm -hmm. nobody can fix it. Nobody can do the one thing you want to happen, which is for that person to be back. Nobody can do it. So, and a lot of people want to, they want to fix you. They want, you know, they want to make it better for you. They want to take away the pain. They want to... Um, so you do get the, the, the things that feel trite. They're very true, but, it, but, but they feel like time's a great healer. Mm. Well, a lot of people rebel against that one. But if you look at it from the furthest perspective, then yes, it is because your life has expanded again. So mm. it hasn't, what people are, are fearful of is letting go of that hurt, that intensity of feeling, because then I'm letting go of that person. You're not. They're still there as intensely part of your life as they mm. ever were but just the rest of your life is expanded again. Um, but there are different, different points in people's journey that they can hear things. So you can say the same thing to different people at different points in their journey. And at some point it will connect with them. Mm. At the start, it's very hard for people to hear anything. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you get a lot of the same stuff. I love the way you've kind of you've hinted that even through grief, there's hope that, you know, that the emotional intensity that you just had there of, you know, talking about your, your dad and how it brings you joy and that there are smatterings of, as you said, joy and hope in, in grief going forward. Um, but I want to kind of pick back what you said before about there is no time to grieve, you know, you've got to arrange, do all the funeral, do all of this and that. And we now live in a society where everything is time constructed. We have to do things quick looking back at how we used to grieve and looking forward at potentially you know grieving is going to be something that's going to have a huge effect on mental health because we're not allowing us the time or work giving us the time or because grieving is taboo and people don't know how to handle it they're going to try and fix your problem of grief they're not going to try and listen because there's no time for that what do you think's happened over that process and time I think it's really hard with grief to try and unpick it historically. Uh, it'd be fascinated to see somebody do, a, do a, a piece on it because from my viewpoint, this is purely subjective, I think that because we've disconnected ourselves from death, we've also disconnected ourselves from the process of grief and therefore it becomes abstract rather than being a natural uh, flow and part of life. Um, so 
Whereas historically, everyone would know that you were grieving and that you may be battering that bread that you're making because you're so angry with that person or with the situation or with the whatever. Um, there is more of a communal acceptance, I think, of people being in whatever part of the process they were in, but not necessarily as much talking. We do a lot more talking now, I think, a lot more vocalizing um, of our thoughts and of our memories and people's lives are longer as well. So we've got a lot more to, to delve into, I suppose, in some ways. Um, so I think we do, I don't know that we used to speak more. I think there are definitely generations that didn't speak at all about grief. That actually that was something you did in private. So Queen, Queen Victoria, she pops up a lot. You know, <laughs> she <laughs> did a whole thing about making, making mourning, making grieving incredibly public. And she never changed that, you know. So, but then that, made, that put a pressure on everybody to grieve in the same way. Um, so there was a structure to it. How many days you should be wearing black? And then you could go to a lighter dark color, but you couldn't go out to events. You couldn't go out to, you couldn't meet people or do things that were sociable or, or that kind of stuff. Depending on where you were in the uh, strata of society, you know, if you were uh, a working person, you having to get on and carry on with your work. So you didn't have that space. You didn't have that time. But what you are likely to have had was more awareness of other people, of where you were. So more unconscious protecting, if you like, just giving that space, allowing that behavior or that response or that whatever, knowing that that's where it's coming from rather than, you know, and then a more gentle kind of um, re-entering into life. And you can see that in different in different places, different parts of the world. You know, there are parts where it's kind of you you shouldn't be out. You know, you, so very much the Jewish faith is what I mention a lot because there's a set amount of time when you're at home and everything is done for you. Everybody brings food in, looks after you. You sit on a low chair um, with mirrors covered. You don't wash. You don't. You know, the, if you if you're doing it fully, uh, because actually your time at that point is to focus on the grief and on that person. So focus on that person's life. Uh, and then slowly you have an amount of time that you then can, you're not expected to do social engagements, but you can meet one or two people or so that you haven't got to put on the mask. You haven't got to put on the face. The issue now is that there's expect, expectation that you'll be all right. Uh, and therefore you have to put on a face to make other people feel better. Rather than actually I'm feeling, can we swear? Do we swear on this podcast? Yeah, we can. Yeah. I'm okay, feeling so. like shit. You know, it's like, this is, I just can't cope with this. It's just, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Um, people feel that other people don't want to hear that yeah, because so often we say oh how are you and we don't mean it mm. you know if you're asking the question if you're asking somebody how they are you should be prepared for them to answer how they actually are not to go oh I'm fine and move on I, th I think it's interesting what you say um, and I've recently started reading this book and I, I cannot recommend this book enough for anyone that's grieving and it's called it's okay that you're not okay by um, an author called Megan Devine. And it's meeting grief and loss in a culture that doesn't understand. And this, this lady lost her partner and she talks about how we are viewed in a way that grief is, is viewed as a bad thing. And it's almost sort of like, you know, you've got to rush through it and you can't talk about it and you've got to sweep it under the carpet after a certain length of time. And, you know, I think it's very... Like you've talked about already, it's very different for everyone, but I think there's a sense of, you know, you feel like you should, you're forced to be okay quicker than when you're ready to, because you feel like society demands that. And I found that really difficult because I was sort of like, you know, people stopped checking in on me after a while when Poppy died. And it was sort of, you know, maybe four, four months, three, four months. And you know, when people did message me, it was like, how are you doing? I, I didn't think I could say, I feel crap. You know, this is still horrific. I felt like I had to say, yeah, I'm doing okay. Because I felt like that's what people and society demanded from me. Like it was a process that I had to get over. And of course it's not, is it? It's very much an open-ended book. And you've just talked about your dad there. I don't know how long ago that was, but it's there forever. 
I think I think the thing that you talked about to start with about um, how how you can't hear anything when it first happens. You don't want to hear anything. And people say, time's a healer. I hate that one. Absolutely hate it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but someone approached me the other day and they'd lost um, their son, their baby son. And this was only last month. And she said to me, I don't, I need to know there's not a time when it doesn't feel like this. When, when is that going to be? And I, I gave her as much of my own experience as I could, but I did say it's different for everyone. And that's really hard, isn't it? Because you de- so desperately want to help people. It, yeah, it's just, it's just a minefield. It's, it's so difficult to even articulate, I think. Yeah, there's, I think we all, we all want to know how we cope with this. Um, whereas, actually, it is that, that the sharing of experiences, that this is what it was like for me. You know, and the, this, those honestly shared experiences are worth their weight in gold. And at the point where people can hear it, then they will. Um, and you can't force them to hear it earlier. No. You know, it might help them, but they still can't, you know, if they're not ready to hear, if they're not in the place to hear, then they, they can't hear. They just can't take it on. Um, I think that, that book is fantastic. She does a workbook as well. Uh, so so to, for people to be able to work through. Um, the process for themselves and there are definitely there are, there are grief professionals out there that can help you know can work with people to understand their grief when they're stuck some people get very stuck with grief most people don't most people work through uh, over their own length of time they work through things and they come back to things and they 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 rejig some people get really stuck and that is very hard because it then becomes almost uh, almost like PST at uh, PST PSTT, PT, all the right letters, not in the right order. I need the caffeine, obviously. Um, yeah, because it, beca- it then becomes a, a moment that you're stuck in mm. and it's just replayed over and over again. For most people, they work through their grief, you know, uh, with compassionate friends or compassionate people. Sometimes it's not the friends. Sometimes the people are, are really close to us can't cope with it because they're feeling our pain as well. Uh, and they want to take that away, but they can't, you know. So sometimes having a, a third party, having somebody that wasn't so close or that you've just met or whatever, they can actually do things that your closest closest family and friends can't do because they can just allow you to feel what you're feeling without taking it all on themselves. Mm. Um, so you can just voice whatever you want to voice without any concern about how it's going to affect the other person because you don't need, you know, you need to be experiencing your own grief. You don't need to be having to temper that because it might upset somebody else yeah but there's that you know that phrase of kind of go oh don't think that talking about our loved one will uh, make us sad because we've remembered them we haven't forgotten them you know we're we're sad all the time yeah but that part of it is is a given you know it we may feel other things as well but that part is always there so just do talk about them do say their names do ask mm-hmm. questions do kind of come kind of come oh the cheeky one you know that's such a cheeky smile or do make comments that that mm. just remind us that you haven't forgotten them as well. Yeah. Yeah. All of those things are just so powerful. Because I remember when a couple of friends got in touch that I hadn't spoken to in a long time. Oh, I remember when your mum did this. And that really helped because the rawness that you're feeling is because you miss that person. You love that person. They're not here anymore. You're not going to you know, smell their skin again. You're not going to hug them again. You're not going to kind of, you know, all of those things. And so for someone else to actually have a f- same or similar loving memory of that person, just, it's so lovely. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's just really nice to hear. And I think for me in particular, as you're saying about um, almost like grief survivors coming together to talk about grief, a lot of con- people have contacted me and so on about grief. And there is something unifying in having going through grief albeit from very different circumstances you know that's how myself and Katie connected initially was through grief um both in very different circumstances but there is a unifying of that rawness that feeling that hollowness that sadness that it actually it's empowering I don't know if that's the right word but yeah it's life-changing grief is life-changing uh and because it's not just one emotion, you know, love, it, love is, you know, several emotions, 
but it's not as anywhere near as many emotions as grief. You know, grief is, touches on so many different parts and we are completely changed by grief. We're no longer the people that we were before we experienced that mm -hmm. bereavement of whatever sort it is. It doesn't matter what it is in some ways, you know, um, but absolutely we're changed by it because we've been changed by that person's life. Why would we not be changed by their death, by the fact they're not going to be with us? They're not going to experience this time with us in the future. They're not going to be at our children's wedding or at the, this, that or the other, those times that we presume they would be with us. You know, it's, um, it's an extraordinary time. It is an incredible gift, but it's painful because we're growing, we're developing, we're becoming much more compassionate because we're understanding you know, a depth of emotion that normally we don't share with anybody else. So where you know the people we are at the at the further down, further along our grieving process are not the same people as we were at the start, and we behave towards other people differently, you know, uh, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's quite scary. It's a scary concept, though, isn't it? If a lot of people said that to me, they were like, "You'll never, you'll never be the same after this," and I was mm -hmm. like, "I've just spent thirty-seven years getting to know this person. Like, I don't, I don't want to change. I kind of got enough to deal with." You know, and it's a it's a weird concept to think this is going to change me. This one event is going to change me forever, isn't it? It's do you do you think experiencing loss of someone prepares you in a way for further for further experiences? Or do you think every every loss you experience is obviously completely individual? But do you think having the knowledge of grief, grief and understanding what that process is? Do you think that helps once you've experienced it once for, for loss of future people in your life? I think not necessarily because, because each experience is different. Yeah. Um, and it can be accumulative. So if you happen to uh, have experienced bereavement several times in a short space of time or even you know, over a matter of years, but there have been intense uh, relationships that have ended, uh, then... Uh, that can have an accumulative effect. So you can end up grieving more for the last person, if you like, who maybe you weren't as close to um, than you did for the first person who you were really close to. Mm -hmm. uh, because actually every time you're experiencing grief, you're, it brings back those, that previous experience, I think. Um, so that it's kind of like, oh, crumbs. Yes, it's, I remember I went through all this with so-and-so. Yeah, uh, but actually this feels different. You will feel, you know, the, the the balance of the emotions will be different because the circumstances will be different. Your relationship with that person will be different. Mm. So there are sometimes when there's a huge amount of anger or a huge amount of guilt uh, that people feel because of the situations, because of the circumstances, because of their relationships. Other times, those aren't there so much. So it's mm. kind of like, well, actually, we knew, you know, she was 96, great age. We were all with her. We'd said everything. She was really happy to she kind of go, right, now I'm going to meet Johnny, Johnny again. And that's going to be, you know, so, so absolutely what you will feel then, even though you might have wanted her to still carry on living, is it will be different to um, the loss of somebody like Poppy, you know, where it was just beginning. You know, that was just the start and you hadn't had any opportunities. You know, you'd have nine, nine months inside, but not not any time outside to make those memories. Yeah. So, and it doesn't mean that the love for one is any, is less than the other, but the relationships are different. And the it's we expect people to die when they're older. There's part of us that that that's kind of acceptable. The younger somebody is, or the more tragic it is, you know, the way that somebody dies, you know, then that has an impact on the way we grieve as well because that makes it it can make it more difficult yeah yeah it's i mean we've talked about the, as we've said grief is very different for each of us the circumstance who we lose in what circumstances we lose them there was something that happened um to me that i wasn't expecting and that was anticipatory grief i didn't even know i was going through it i didn't even know it existed but obviously with someone who has been given a, a terminal prognosis, there's a journey towards that finality, to, towards when, when they die. Can you tell us a bit more in, in your role as well of, you know, end of life doula about 
that grieving process and you know how you support people through that well, I think again it, it is very different for each individual and and it'll be different for the person that's got the diagnosis themselves the prognosis themselves and for their family around them because uh, the the first person is contemplating what death means you know so they're very much focused on death and the uh, the grief for them around the impact it's going to have on their family and friends the impact of not being able to be there for those life events that they planned that they would be as their children grow up or the grandchildren grow up all that kind of stuff uh, grieving for uh, things that they are not going to be able to experience whereas um, for the, the family then obviously they're trying to to trying to both grapple with the concept of death and what that means and where they're going and what that will feel like after they've gone which is impossible to know um and how do we cope after they've gone so sometimes it's about putting in strategies uh something it's really helpful for the family to know that they've done as much as they could as close to what their loved one wanted mm -hmm. as they possibly can so whether that's plans about funerals whether that's plans for selling property or moving or going on holidays or what happens to ashes or you know practical things mm. um sometimes it's about you know, actually enab enabling that person to stay at home or to be in a hospice or to be you know whatever it is that they want to go as far as possible as you can that helps that helps people because they know they've done the best that they could so to allow that person to have the space mm or to be with that person so they're not on their own, whatever whatever that is, if they can have that those conversations in advance. So if they can be open enough and just allow, you know, allow ourselves to connect with our emotions. Uh, mm -hmm. But then it is, it flows into the, the post uh, bereavement grieving as well, you know, so it's, it's similar. There are similarities and there are things you kind of go, well, I thought, you know, in some cases people deal with a lot before the death. So actually after the death, they're not quite in the place they thought they might be mm. because they know they've done everything they could and they've said everything and they've had those discussions and they've had that time. Um, in other cases, actually it doesn't work that way and it's, uh, they feel like it's gonna they cast adrift again. Mm. You can't know, you can't know. You can only try your best. Uh, and it's always for me about having conversations, being as open as possible mm. about, from both sides, from all sides about what your fears are or what you're thinking or what your plans are or you know what what do you want to happen mm. you know if you're the one that's dying what do you want to happen to your um to the lives of the people that you care about afterwards you know I really want you to go to university or I really you know but then that can be a huge pressure so actually I really want you to be happy in the course of life that you take is <laughs> a better answer that isn't necessarily what we do <laughs> you know because we can't know that the impact that's mm our death will have on somebody else you know however much we think we can prepare for it do you think there's anything that we can learn from other cultures beliefs um spiritual you know whether that be spiritual or religious about grief because like you you touched on it before where you said different different cultures have different processes and we're very much like you know the British are stiff upper lip you know and we won't talk about that and we won't talk about how we're hurting and you know how you doing I'm fine I'm really not you know that sort of thing do you think there's anything we can learn from other other beliefs or other belief systems that you think would help the way that we process grief as a concept it's tricky, isn't it? Because it would be again it would be great to come up with a you know this is the way to do grief well. Um, kind of book you could make your millions Jane <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I would soon be torn to shreds because you know it, it it I think it can be helpful for there to be a structure of of what you're expected to do because that point where your brain is mush and you can't plan anything and you can't think and you're a capable person they're intelligent normally and suddenly you can't even boil a boil a kettle to make a cup of tea you know um to have things put in place as some different belief systems do or some different cultures do but it, I, I can't quite see us as uh, British people suddenly going the, the wailing and the gnashing of teeth that happens in some, some cultures. That would be so alien. Um, but I think societally we could do, and, and you know, that includes work very much, 
because workplaces are very good at give, or, or getting better at giving time off, uh, but not actually realizing that a set amount of time doesn't help necessarily and a way of doing it. So some people, they really want to come straight back into work and occupy their brain until such point as they know they no longer can. That's right for them. Other people that were staying at home couldn't possibly deal with it, would have gone mental. Um, other people need that time and space to just be because they can't cope with anything else. You know, it's different people work differently. It's not all one size fits all. Um, but to to I think societally, just to make that shift to allow people to be honest about where they're feeling. And that would work so much better for everybody's mental health across the board. Mm. But if you know that somebody is suffer is is feeling, you know, a bereavement then actually, if you're asking that question, do ask. And now I do ask the question, how are you doing? I never say, how are you? I do say, how are you doing? But always with, and I mean, how are you really doing? Because yeah. I do want to know how you really are, not how you think you should be, because I'm not expecting you to be in a particular place. You could be anywhere. You, know, you, could, yeah. you could be at any stage within it. And, and if I'd asked you that five minutes ago, that could be different to five hours time, how you'd be. Because it, it can change so quickly, you know, and that recognition that this takes, this is a, in some ways, it's a lifelong journey. Yeah. You know, because we've been changed, because we're, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not all consuming all through the rest of your life. That, that's not healthy. That doesn't help you. It doesn't help them. Yeah. Um, but it is part of you for the rest of your life. It almost sounds like what you're saying is that there needs to be more of a an acceptance in society about how, and, it, and it's weird, isn't it? Because we talked about it on uh, the whole discussion about death and dying, but there's so much focus now on mental health. And when you think about how much grief impacts mental health and when someone you love dies, how hard it hits you, you couldn't possibly even begin to say, right, well, we'll offer that person one month off or a year off or actually no time at all because that will help them because like you say everyone is different but is it it's more about from what I think you're saying is about opening up the conversation to a level of acceptance that this is something that people are going to go through and it is going to be an infinite amount of time and we just don't know from one day to the next is that is that about right yeah I mean that's very hard for, from a company viewpoint that's very hard to then manage. How do you how do you sort that if you don't know how long somebody may be off or may not be off or or you know because we're so geared towards um, earning and work and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so there are there may be times times that that can't happen. So in that area, but in the rest of our lives it can, you know. And it may well be that you know that actually work has to go on in a particular way. We have to kind of go back maybe when we're not quite feeling ready or, but actually sometimes that can be helpful because for that set amount of time, you know, my brain is occupied with something else. And if I suddenly have one of those moments, I can dash off to the loo or in my case, I had an office on my own. So that was all right. I could suddenly burst into tears in front of my computer and nobody knew. Um, but that recognition that that might happen and that's all right. You know, mm -hmm. so you're doing your best. You may not be working at 100%. Uh, but you may be, you know, but for the rest of our lives to kind of go, actually, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make plans to go out. And then I might decide in that moment I can't. Mm. So for friends to know that that's all right and to yeah. know, for you to know, great, make all the plans to do all of the things and then see how you are on the day. Mm. It's not, you're not letting anybody down. Mm. You know, you're not, you're just not able to cope with that at that point. And that's all right. I think it's giving yourself that permission because I think I found that difficult as well. Like it was, you know, life wasn't going on as normal, but I tried to make it as normal as possible. I didn't allow myself that permission. And I think I'm, I'm very much a, a listener and, you know, I, I like helping people. I wouldn't be a coach if I didn't, but it's, you know, I, I'm very much, you know, a helper, a, a fixer type person. And so I never gave myself permission to go, do you know what? you don't have the mental capacity to take this on right now. And in, I, I wish I had given myself that permission to go, just say no. You, know, you don't have that emotional capacity, mental capacity to take on other people's problems, other people's concerns. Just 
no because you know I don't know if it's somewhere in my mind I thought if I take on uh, someone else's problems then that will make the grief kind of squash down a little bit but you know it's okay if you are grieving to say no to hide away to just not make excuses for not going out it's it's okay grief isn't dirty yeah and you don't know how you're going to be so you know you may agree to go out and then change your mind or you may say you're not going to go and then last minute kind of go actually I could really do with being just out of my head Mm. for a bit I just need to be taken out of my head for a little while and it's all right for me to enjoy something it's all right for me to to laugh it's all right for me to Mm. enjoy a moment or to go to somewhere and appreciate it I don't have to stay in this place in this difficult painful place it doesn't mean that I've forgotten them or that I'm not still grieving or that I'm over it or that I think less of them but actually there comes a point where that light and shade needs to happen. And it's, so it's permission across the board to just be, to experience it how we experience it. I think uh, what you said earlier about how grief doesn't change, it's your life changes around it. And the, the only way I can describe my personal um, experience is that it's like Monica's covered in friends <laughs> and I've got all of that stuff in there. And every so often, I'll allow the door open and I just have a little peek inside and it hurts and that's okay. Cause I know, you know, it's, it's okay to hurt, but I'm like, I'm not ready for that yet. Like some people say, Oh, I can listen to a piece of music and it reminds me of that person and I just can't stop crying. And I'm not at that point yet, but I understand what you're saying about the beauty of allowing yourself those moments, because just because you're feeling pain it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. And I think, you know, there are times now when I cry and I and I can't stop crying. And it's just like, boom, and it comes out of nowhere. And Neil will say to me, well, what's the matter? What are you crying for? And I'm like, oh, everything. Um, which, of course, for him as a as a fixer type person, he's just like, well, I don't know what to do to help. And it actually feels really good to cry and to let that pain out. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, as a society... It's almost seen as a as a weakness or something we should tuck away, isn't it? Which it, I think is really sad because actually that's really helped me. And actually get having, like Vicky said, the permission to feel all the feelings, get it all out, is actually, I think, what you need to do. Because I've I so many people in my life who are close to Neil and I who experienced the loss of Poppy. Some of them don't talk about it at all and it's locked away in a little box and it's never to be touched or talked about. And I think that's really sad because I think you're harboring everything inside and the weight that that's got to put on you is so difficult. Whereas I still feel the weight, but I feel a lightness as well because I'm just letting it happen. Do you think there needs to be more, I don't know, don't know how to word it. It is that giving yourself permission, isn't it? It's the outward display of emotion and that you shouldn't be worried about what anyone else feels. Yeah, I, I, it drives me at the wall where people feel they can't cry. I'm quite an emotional person, as we've seen. Um, so I, draw, I cry at lots of different things. I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I'm deeply moved by something. Uh, so if I'm reading something aloud, uh, uh, you know, which is a great thing for a celebrant, um, <laughs> I'm moved by something. I've got lots of... I'll put a lot of meaning into any ceremony that I do. Um, so I will fill up with tears. I don't see that as a bad thing. And I don't see it. Crying is a release of emotion. It's not a bad thing. It's not a weakness. It's a release of emotion. So you can let that flow. It's a real flowing of emotion. Um, and it's really tricky when people don't allow themselves to cry. Some people just don't. It's not in their nature. They don't know how to. They don't know. And they, you can't force yourself to but you can force yourself not to um, and that's a real shame because it's it's really healthy to experience all of those emotions and let them flow so feel it let it flow if you bottle it up then it's going to explode somewhere along the line it's going to be a huge you know whereas um i think i said that when, when we chatted originally so when i was doing my training um we had to take along at one point a physical something that connected us with somebody who died and I spent ages trying to come up with what was going to be the best thing to take, you know, the cleverest thing to take or the most entertaining or whatever. 
uh, and eventually on the day I grabbed the thing that I'd first first thought of and then pushed down because I thought no I can't take that which was a folder that had been in the cupboard uh, in my chanting cupboard since my dad had died so that was then about 16 years ago it had been in there since uh, it had moved house with us um, but I never lost it again I saw I saw it was there and I shut the door you know make sure it was covered up and I took it with me just grabbed it took it along uh, and we came to the point where we were doing that exercise as part of the training um, of talking about what it was that we, we brought with us and, and what the meaning was. Uh, and I undid that folder. Here we go again. <laughs> I undid that folder uh, for the first time with that group of people. And it was extraordinary because I there were things in there. There was a check in there I'd completely forgotten about, whether I knew that <laughs> all those years previously and had kept it because it was my dad's writing or whether... Yeah, I can't remember, but it was there. Um, and there were all kinds of things in there, uh, which made me laugh and made me cry uh, and gave me a reason to talk about my dad mm. um, and to share him with the people that were there who never met him. And, you know, to all sides of him, not just that, oh, because, yeah, you know, uh, it was really important to me that it, he wasn't a saint. Uh, he most definitely wasn't a saint. Um but that was, that was such an important lesson to kind of go, oh, this feels good. Yes, I'm bawling my eyes out, but it feels really good to be able to share this. And how wonderful that these people, yeah, some of them were, fight, were, were trying to fix it. Are you sure you're all right? Are you sure? Shut up. <laughs> just let it happen. Um, just to give people that space to be in that moment and to laugh and to cry and to be angry, just to feel all of the emotions and let them flow. It's really important. Do you think when someone dies close to a person, that person starts to grieve, do you find when you're talking to people about it that they have a desperate, well, not a desperation, but a desire to find a, like a faith, if they're not spiritual or faith-led before, to know that there's something as a, as a form of comfort, you know, for, for that person moving on. If they, if they weren't before, they don't follow a religion, not necessarily atheist, but, you know, agnostic. You know, do you find that you speak to people and they're like, I need, I need to know, I need to know there's a form of comfort out there. I need to know this person's okay. I need to, do you find that happens when people die? Yeah, quite often, not all the time. So there's some people who are very firmly in their belief of what doesn't happen, if you like. Um, and they're fine because they've, it, it tends to be more difficult for people that have never th thought about it. Uh, and then they fall back on things that they've come across at some point in their life, which in this country tends to be Christianity. So, you know, so you've got heaven. So that's where they are. And then they talk, you know, so it's, which is fine, you know, but people, it's the benefit of thinking about death previously. You then know what for you feels right. Mm -hmm. where you think people go, what you think happens to people after they die to, you know, the separation between the body and anything else, the person, if you like. Um, if you've never thought about it, then it becomes a huge shock and you need to fill that space with something mm. because it's very, you know, the, it's difficult to not be able to imagine them somewhere. Mm -hmm or somehow um so it, it is it's it's the most difficult part of anybody's journey with any faith as well i think because it really does test you because nobody can prove it you know i've got my own beliefs based on the the faith that i practice but um i can't prove it i can feel it i can feel it very deeply i can feel uh, connections that i can't explain any other way but and that certainly helps but it does make you question things. So if you have nothing there, then people will tend to come up with something. Yeah, I, I, I totally, I, I, was, I was desperate afterwards. Um, and I had, I had a million questions running around in my head. Like, you know, people, people around me um, would say things like, you know, um, God, God needed an angel. Yeah, I know. I can see you both cringing at that. And someone who I met in a baby loss group sent me 
an image and it said, it's okay to say God needed an angel when it wasn't his child, when it wasn't your child that he took. Mm. And things that people say after loss, I don't, I think, I don't think anyone says anything to be um, particularly, you know, they're not trying to be offensive. They're not trying to hurt you. They are trying to help. It comes from a place of love, but from in your opinion and in your experience, what are some of the worst things that people say to someone's grieving? Because I, I had all sorts of things and I just wanted to throttle people on a regular same. basis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. And I think it is the same, it's the same ones that come out, isn't it? So it's gone to a better place. Why? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, the, so the whole, you know, it, Yes, I have a particular thing about God needs an angel. Really? Um, only the good ones. He only takes the good ones. Well, that's certainly not true because everybody dies. Uh, and you, you get, ah, yeah. I think there are so many, I mean, if you're talking from your own belief point, then there's a validity to what you're saying. But if you're talking in a general, and that's not, actually, if you don't believe in God, then why are you talking from that belief point? You know, if you're not practicing that religion, then why are you talking from that belief point? You know, how is that helpful for anybody else? So if I truly believe something and I offer it to you as a as an explanation, then you at least know that I truly believe that. And you may or may not agree. You know, I believe in the eternity of life. You may or may not believe in it. Um, I wouldn't tend to thrust that at you as being, you know, the fact that you'll be connected with Poppy in a, in a future lifetime. At that point where she's just died, that is not helpful. Yeah, you know, that's not helpful for me. If it, if she had been my child, you know that yeah. that, that concept at that moment isn't helpful because I want her here now. Yeah. <laughs> nothing else matters. Um, so there is a lot of you know it, it is the the kind of card slogans, isn't it? And you do get memes you get all over the place now of, of different things. It kind of go just think about what you're saying. You can't prove it. You don't know what this person's belief structure is yeah so just avoid the uh, avoid the trotting out mm. the trait things that the trite things that that would that don't give help to anybody you know if you so do something from the heart if you truly believe something but then actually don't do that unless it's the other person's belief because that's not helpful. It's just kind of like, I will just, I will throttle you. You know, if you say that to me, I will throttle you because that's definitely not where I think they are, you know? Um, yeah, and uh, you're right. People don't tend to say things to be malicious, but they do tend to say things without thinking it through. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a massive thing that we've touched upon, but I'll just say it. There's a massive thing that we need to do around education, around grief. And how people treat other people who are grieving and what support you can do because as you said it's it's not e the miscommunications that can happen can be really damaging and you know a couple of people who didn't really know what to say to me and really was way off like so way off and that's my last that's my first thing I think about when I see their phone you know their name pop up on my phone because it was it was in such a huge impact at a time when I was so raw that I just think you know and, and of course it's educated me that I know not what to say I'm definitely not going to say that to someone who's grieving and it, it was just such a, an eye-opener as to how people treated you during grief or not because some people just disappeared and again it's that education around how do you help someone who is grieving well you you don't naff off you know you if if you're a friend or a loved one you're you're there it doesn't matter how just just reach out you know just, just reach out say you're there and for me that was just shocking but also a, a massive learning curve as to you know how do I support some how did I support people through grief before I experienced it myself and you know I started to look back at my own behavior and how I could have supported someone I knew who was grieving and how I could have done that better um there's an amazing book by Dr Catherine Mannix called Listen 
and I cannot recommend it enough. Jane's um, put it on a bookshelf. Oh, oh I, was just, I, was, I was allowed to read it, but it's not that one. So I go, oh, no, okay. Oh, she, yeah. she, she's done another one as well about, um, you know, time to talk about death. And, and, and it, she's just wonderful. She is fantastic. And I wish I'd read it before mum passed because uh, died because it was that kind of how to have those conversations and how to have those conversations with people who are freshly in grief and those who... And it's, it's just being so forthright of, like you said, Jane, how are you really doing? But really listen, you know, you've got to expect the answer if you want to hear it and be there. And yeah, so I think I'll get off my soapbox now, but I think it is all around that educating people around how to cope with grief for others and support them. I mean, people seem to, because of this whole thing of wanting to fix it, uh, mm. people don't seem to be able to just say, I don't know what to say. Yeah, there are no helpful. words. Yeah. There's just nothing I yeah. can say that's going to make any difference at this point, is there? Just let me hug you. Or if, yeah. if you want to talk, you know, I'll make you tea. <laughs> I'll do, you know, whatever you want me to do, I am here for you. But yeah. there's just, yeah, I can't make it right. There's nothing I can say. Because yeah. there isn't. There's sweet FA you can say. Yeah, it, it does seem to be a, a problem for people to be able to say that. And it mm. wasn't until six weeks after Poppy died, I put out a post saying, you know, thank you to everyone who's reached out. And for those who haven't, if, you know, if, if you don't know what to say, don't worry, because I wouldn't know what to say either. Mm. And following on from that, people messaged me and were like, oh my God, I'm so glad you said that because I haven't known what to say to you. And that's my one bit of advice for anyone that's mm. like trying to help someone grieving. Even if you don't know what to say, just say, I don't know what to say. And this is so horrendous. I'm here and mean it, but don't run away from it because mm-hmm. it's that's the worst thing, isn't it? I mean, in your experience, I know everyone is different. What helps with grieving? And, I, and I've, I've tried to write lists and things for my website about what people can do. And I think it's more from a, a, a keeping your brain busy and trying to move through the days. But someone's grieving what how do you how how do you help them in terms of giving them that positive step forward because you say every obviously everyone's different but what does really help for me it always comes down to talking so it's giving them the space to talk and whether they are talking this is you know so I run a bereavement group and that's that's based purely on people having the space to talk and there'll be times when we're talking very in-depth about somebody's grieving at that point in time, where they are at that moment. Other times we'll be talking about the cruise that somebody's booked. And you kind of go, well, what's that got to do? Well, actually, that's the first holiday that person was going to be taking on their own. It was a promise that she'd made to her partner that she would go on a cruise Yeah. Uh, after he died. Uh, and it was so it was a huge thing. So we were able to support her to take that step, to share the enjoyment with her how wonderful you booked it. Oh, where are you going to go? What are you taking with you? All of that stuff that other people kind of going, do you think she really should be going on a cruise? Do, 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 yeah. Because there was no agenda. There was nothing from our side. Don't have an agenda. Don't. So if you're supporting somebody, don't have an agenda of what you think they should be doing. If you're going through it, don't feel you should be feeling a particular thing at a particular point. Do talk about your loved one. Do talk about the way you're feeling. Surround yourself with people you can feel you can talk to. And that's not necessarily going to be your family and closest friends because you, you need to be able to just be however you are in that moment without having to take their feelings into consideration. So speak to people who aren't grieving for your particular loss. They may well be grieving. They may have, you know, they may have had that experience, be still going through that experience. But if it's not your loss, then they're that little step away so they can hear whatever it is you're saying um so and and so and therefore don't judge those people that are closest to you it's very easy to kind of go they couldn't they couldn't hack it they weren't here you know well actually sometimes they're not there because they're not the right people they will be they'll be the right people for something else they'll come back and it may be that the person that you speak to at the point where you're grieving most isn't there for the rest of your life they were there for that particular moment but actually when you meet up again at a later point you're no longer the people that each other needs. You know, people, 
as they say, isn't it? Friends are there for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. Yep. There's understanding. You know, sometimes those people who are there for a lifetime just can't, can't, aren't the right people for that season. What we need is something else. And that's okay. That's really interesting that you say that because I, I certainly experienced feelings of frustration because I was like, well, you know, there's certain people that you think are going to step up and they don't. And you're, why haven't you? This is one of the most, you know, difficult times in my life. Probably the most difficult. Why are you not here for me? And over time, I've come to realize that, yeah, not, not everyone can hack it and not everyone is the right person but there are people out there for you. It's, it's like finding your tribe, isn't it? It's that <laughs> you find your, and Vicky and I have talked about that sort of little, the little circle of people that you sort of gather that I've been so fundamentally incredible for you during that time that you're just like, I know what you said about the possibility of some of those people not being there in the future, but you know, you can't ever imagine not having those people in your life because they've been such a fundamental part of it at the most difficult time. But yeah, the the knowing it's okay to let others not be okay with it, and that's all right because they might not be the right people. That's that's an interesting point, I think. Yeah, because we can take out anger is a really interesting part of grief, and that can go in all kinds of direction. So we can feel uh, that we shouldn't feel angry at that person. Sometimes we do, uh, so we you know we might deflect that to the medical profession or to somebody else that was involved, or we could deflect it to people who, who we feel aren't there for us, uh, and so they're getting all of this stuff. It's actually nothing to do with them really, um, because it's it's got to go somewhere. It's got you know, anger has to be directed at something, and if it's not directed at something, we direct it at ourselves. So then that's the guilt side. Um, but it's yeah, it's uh, it's all of those emotions are, are fascinating um, and extraordinary and the process is amazing mm. it's a long walk you know at some points you'll be walking together with other people and other points you're just going through this difficult dark bit all on your own you say well where are those other people well there's nothing they can do at that point you've got to go through that bit mm. you know yeah. but you will when you come around the corner there they are they're waiting for you again and you pick up with them again and you do another bit together you know, it is an extraordinary, extraordinary process, mm. uh, but not one that can be nailed down, you know. So I really do, yeah, I, I do see it as a long walk. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because it, most of the things we do as human beings are kind of, um, they're all about our fight, flight, survival. We are animals at the end of the day. But love and grief are, they're almost like the phenomena, aren't they? That there's, why do we grieve, you know, because it's such a, a painful road to go down and in human evolution it, it doesn't serve us any purpose but that's the phenomenon of, of you know love and grief and it's just yeah I don't know where I'm going with this it just kind of came to me so just stay with me I'm, I'm in my poet kind of zone now do it, um, do it. we're embracing it <laughs> you're embracing it you're not you just gave me the hurry up and finish last night <laughs> She knew I was, was about before to kick she off. knew what you were gonna say. Yeah. Don't, don't give the tricks away. No, home has come on and come on. <laughs> um yeah, so I just it's I and it's one of the things that I found interesting from that kind of really objective point of view and looking at grief and that you know, at my lowest, lowest times, why why am I grieving? Why? Why is this hurting? And I think going full circle, going back to what you said before, Jane, is that it reminds you of how much joy, love and um, happiness that you had with a connection in your life. And that's why it's there. And I think, yeah, that's just a bit of a reminder for anyone grieving that however much it hurts, there's there's a reason for it. And it's a transition, you know, our relationship with that person is changing and they're no longer physically with us. But that connection doesn't go. No. You know, it just becomes a different kind of connection. Mm. You know, uh, and as we, uh, that's part of the journey to make that recognition. We kind of go, oh my goodness me, I'm turning into my to my mother or my father, or you know, that's that he would have said that. That's exactly, or Dad would have loved this, or you know. So it's kind of like, oh, oh, crumbs. Yeah, it's kind of like so that connection mm. is still there, but it's different. Yeah. And he can't hang on to the old one. No, mm. we've got to transition. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I, I don't I don't even know, Jane, where you're going to go with this, but I'm going to offer you the final sip. This <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> is Again. your fi- final thought on grief and loss and what you would say on this topic to finish it off and close it down for the day. Oh, blimey. <laughs> okay, this is where I'm supposed to be incredibly wise, isn't it? Um, I would think, I think it's the same thing I've been saying all the way through, that grief is different for everyone. We all experience it in our own time, in our own way, and that's absolutely fine. Do speak to people. Don't, you know, so you may not want to get out of bed. That's fine. You can phone me from bed. <laughs> you know, you can connect to a, uh, to a bereavement group. You can have a conversation with somebody. You can just send a text. You can, but actually to keep talking about your loved one, keep talking to your loved one. Yeah. Yeah. Keep those conversations going. Why should that suddenly stop? You know, yeah. to feel that, allow that connection with them to develop and change. And get, be kind to yourself. Give yourself mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. I think everything you've just said is just, it it resonates so much. And I think that's, that's, I think if anyone takes anything away from this, it's that, you know, there's no finite time for you when you're grieving and you should allow yourself and give yourself all the permissions you need to, Mm -hmm. to know that it's, it's okay to not be okay. Mm. Thank you so much for joining us, Jane. Thank you, Jane. My pleasure. Well, that sounds slightly weird, but you know, <laughs> our conversations are always amazing. So thank you, ladies. No, thank you. And uh, hopefully everyone's enjoyed, well, again, enjoyed listening to this. Um, but we hope you found it insightful and um, we will pop Jane's details onto the podcast and on our website um, so that if you want to get in touch with her um, about her bereavement groups, the Death Cafe and any other celebrant related excitement um then you can indeed so thank you once again jane and thank you vicky for being a superstar co-host thank you katie for being so honest and open always always oh i love doing these episodes where we're just yeah letting it all out that's it's like a therapy session it's like a therapy session yes yeah it's very good (laughs) thank you everyone for listening and we will see you on the next episode of strong tea we absolutely will see you soon bye